The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm reading is 118. The New Testament reading was Hebrews 13. What I'd like to talk to you about today is Psalm 23, which is actually included in both 118 and Hebrews 13 in spirit and in essence. We read Psalm 23, that we have for the last few months every week. And unfortunately, sometimes we become so familiar with a passage of scripture that we don't even see it anymore. We just kind of read over it, just like seeing that speed sign on the road. We're so used to being there, we don't even see anymore what the speed limit is. I want to start by reading just one paragraph, in fact, the concluding paragraph from the sermon I've written about Psalm 23 a year or two ago on the radio as a lead-in. The Psalm of the Good Shepherd, Psalm 23, has been quoted for centuries at times when we mortal, fragile humans, aware of our helplessness, have found need for its comforting message. At the gravesites of numerous cemeteries, in hospitals, on the battlefield, at the bedside of those who are close to death, or in the throes and anguish of physical or mental pain, who are suffering loss of a loved one, or who are experiencing true mental torment. But Psalm 23 is not an incantation, a magical spell that can be used to alleviate our pain and then put on a shelf until it is needed again. Its reassuring words of consolation are constantly being borrowed by the world, by those who know not the Lord Jesus Christ as their shepherd. Those who couldn't even find the psalm within the pages of the Bible were you to hand it to them and ask them to show it to you. If Jesus Christ is not your shepherd, if you cannot claim that you are one of his sheep, that you know his voice and desire to follow him no matter where he leads you, then for you the 23rd Psalm is nothing more than a literary composition of sentimentality. I am, use whatever word you want, naive (laughs) enough to believe that not only is the Holy Word inspired, but also the order in which the Holy Word has been placed together is likewise inspired. Psalm 23. You don't have to know much about the ordering of the Bible, the ordering of the Psalms, to realize that Psalm 23 
lies between Psalm 22 and Psalm 24. <laughs> Psalm 22. What is Psalm 22 about? In a word, two words, the cross. Psalm 22 starts off, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? Psalm 23, we're familiar with. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle? Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift up ye everlasting doors. Psalm 22 is talking about the past. It is finished. It has been completed in Christ. Psalm 24 is talking about the coming kingdom. When he shall return again. When he shall show his splendor and glory to an unbelieving world. When he shall capture us who believe up with him, to be with him forever. Past, future. Psalm 23 is given to us for now. If you haven't experienced, and again I'm not implying you haven't, if you have not experienced Psalm 22, if you have not experienced what it means that your Lord is He who died upon the cross for your sins, then Psalm 23 isn't yours. Because Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. And He's not your shepherd if you don't accept what Psalm 22 has said about Him. And Psalm 23 leads us into is the bridge, so to speak, Psalm 24, which talks about the coming glory of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. Individual. It's very, very personal. Psalm 23. There's no we's or us or they, but only me, my, he, thou. Psalm 23 is not a group mentality psalm. It is a psalm that you experience with your Lord. More than any other psalm, to recite it is also to experience the reality of it. That's why I've had you read it week after week after week here. That's why I always say, let us now have this become our prayer unto the Lord as we read it. It becomes a green pasture, a still water, restores our soul. The Lord is my shepherd, which conversely means we are his, or I am his, even personal, sheep. Sheep are a purchased possession. They don't really run wild. 
and they're generally purchased at a great cost too and they're nurtured we are a purchased possession we are his sheep and we know that the sheep follow the shepherd they hear his voice they know his voice and they know a voice that's not his voice that's why we're his sheep I shall not want there's a couple ways we can look at that the unconverted natural man is always wanting constantly wanting more and more in fact the more the natural man has the more the natural man wants we see it in our children we see it all the way up through old age never satisfied never satisfied never feeling like they're being provided enough oh my neighbor has this why don't I have it why don't I have that and many when they read this psalm that's the only part of it they think of that all my needs will be provided for everything I want will be provided for and that's true but there's more than just that if you stop right there you could say well then I could want the world I could want this and that so the Lord has to provide it there's the flip side and that is that I shall not want <coughs> means you don't have a spirit of wanting needing of always having to have more and more in fact you don't want the things that the world wants because those things become bitter to you and become harmful you realize they don't bring you closer to the Lord they take you in the other direction when he says I shall not want it means I don't really have that longing anymore in fact you realize you don't really want anything but him he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He maketh me. Strange. It doesn't say, He allows me to lie down in green pastures. He maketh me. Because we don't really know how to lie down in green pastures, how to rest, how to just be content. He has to make us. And the way he does that is generally, depending on where we are with him, trials and tribulations and dissatisfaction and being unfulfilled in things we think we have to have and realizing we don't need them. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters, not running waters, not a lot of activity still waters still waters run deep he restoreth my soul he restoreth my soul he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake that takes us Hebrews 13 Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. 
He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. How many times have we heard that? How many times have I expressed that here? Everything. Everything God does is for His name's sake. For Himself. Nothing He does is for us first. We benefit from what He does. We benefit from the sacrifice of Christ but the sacrifice of Christ was first and foremost to glorify the Father here in this world. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake, that we might be unto the glory of His name, that we might magnify Him in all we say and do. So right there, in the middle of the psalm, we basically have the gospel. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He restores my soul through faith and belief in Jesus Christ and the sacrificial offering. And he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's the gospel. He saves us for himself. He saves us that we might be in Christ to the glory of the Father. Now it changes. The first three verses have all been He is. He maker. He restoreth. He leadeth. Now it changes from He to Thou. And what this shows us is that when we are talking about God, there should come a place when we stop and we start talking to God. So often we talk about God and just leave it at that. We don't talk to God. In a sense, what we should do is interweave our theology, which is what we're saying when we talk about God, with prayer. We should frequently interrupt talking about God by talking to Him. We should turn from speaking about God in our minds to speaking directly to God in our hearts, our spirit. So verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Not for he will be with me, but for thou art with me. Thy God and thy staff, they comfort me. So true to life's experience that when we sense crises, then all of a sudden it's thou, thou. Then all of a sudden it's not talking about what God will do, but praying, God, what will you do now? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's only a shadow. And we're all going to walk through that whether we know the Lord or not. But for Christians, it's a shadow. It's not a reality. It's just a gateway unto heavenly places. In fact, all our life is but a shadow. We're always just one heartbeat away from death. Every one of us, no matter how old we are, Back in Isaiah, I don't remember the exact, exact scripture, the exact verse, it says that 
we are nothing more than the breath in our nostrils. In other words, God just gives us breath. And we're never more than one breath away from not breathing. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. See, we have it all backwards. We attempt to interpret this psalm, Psalm 23, as a way to help us make it through this world, to look for provision, to look for goodness and comfort, for assistance to overcome that which we encounter in this day-to-day existence. But in actuality, it is a psalm that should remove us from this world, lift us up unto heavenly places, into the celestial city, as we heard in Hebrew 13. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. So that all we encounter here is interpreted accordingly. That in the midst of our enemies, which are indeed likewise his enemies, that's why they're our enemies, because they're first his enemies, we are anointed with the Holy Spirit, which causes our cup to run over, sufficient that we can share with others, ever drawing us upward unto his finished work. Just as we say during Holy Communion, we do this here in remembrance of him as his children. We partake of the table here in this wilderness that he has set up for us, a foretaste, a guarantee of that day when we, with all the saints that have gone before us, and all that ever will be, shall commune with him in eternity. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy follow. Don't go seeking after goodness. Seek him. And if you do, goodness and mercy will follow you. Always mercy. Always mercy. Without his mercy, we would fall flat. Without his mercy, we couldn't be picked back up. His grace, his mercy towards us. Never forget that he is a merciful God, an ever-forgiving God. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So that's what this psalm is leading us to. Dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. So take this one thought with you. Each and every time you think upon your Lord as your shepherd, may you find solace and comfort in the fact that sheep have nothing to do with their own feeding or guidance or protection. They have only one thing. They have only to follow their shepherd unto the pastures which he prepares and all will be well with them. So humility and faith. Listen intently for his voice. Enter in by him the doorway. Bow to his will in all things. And you too will say, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you.
sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Our sin in whole, not in part. I think that may be one of the most difficult concepts that we have. We've been taught since we were that small to look out for ourselves. If we don't do it, nobody's going to do it. We have to be self-made men and women. Maybe different words, but the same concept. Especially in this society in America. Achieve. If you don't achieve something, it's your fault. We're constantly, constantly judging ourselves and constantly saying, mm, let me do this, let me do that. We do the same thing with our sins, which is so, so absurd. Because we sin all the time and aren't even aware of it. If the only sins that he forgives are the ones we're aware of, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. We define sin wrongly anyway. We think sins are infractions of moral code or something like that. Rather than realizing it's that which separates us from God. But as that verse says, He took our sins not in part, but in whole. It is finished, as Psalm 22 says. It's finished. In Him, it's finished. And if we're in Him, it is finished for us also. And the secret is, he died for the whole world. Their sins are forgiven too. Not just us. Their sins. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what we need to share with them. Don't you realize, world, your sins are already forgiven. But you keep heaping them back on yourself. You keep taking them. You keep wanting them. Not accepting that which has already been done for you. We need to focus on him. Psalm 23 says, not on our sins. Because if we're focusing on our sins, we're focusing on something that he's forgotten. He says he's separated them, thrown them into the sea, as far away as they can be. He remembers them not anymore. When he looks at us, what he needs to see is Christ. Christ in us. The Son. That doesn't mean we have a license, as Paul says. Does that mean then I can do what I want? God forbid. Though I can do all things, not all things are proper for me. You know the scriptures. Remember that when you start mulligrubbing, oh, that's a real word. A friend had no home used to use that word mulligrubbing. When we start wading in our sins, we need to say, wait a minute. He said it's finished. Is it or not? Let's pray. Almighty and ever merciful Father, whose blessed Son was manifested, that here in this world of darkness and chaos, he might glorify thy name and whose Holy Spirit has been given that we be not comfortless. We thank thee for these words you have given us of divine consolation and assurance that we have reflected upon this very day. Grant us, Heavenly Father, we beseech thee that having this hope you may purify ourselves even as he is pure. That when he shall appear again with power and great glory, we may be made like unto him in his eternal and glorious kingdom, 
where with thee, O Father, and thee, O Holy Ghost, he liveth and reigneth, ever one God, world without end. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. Thank you.